Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, folks. Zach Ostman here, IU Insider, Indianapolis Star. It is Tuesday, October 11th. He is Dustin Perak, IU Insider, Bloomington Herald Times. Um, Going to try and cover a lot of ground in a, a short space of time here, uh, Dustin. And by short space of time, I mean our, our normal time on the podcast. But uh, this does feel like we're starting to really reach the collision of football and basketball. We'll start with football. Um, Darren Hiller's out. We haven't gotten a chance to discuss that. Uh, you and I have been kind of pulled pillar to post for different reasons, family things in the last couple of days. And we, we also kind of want, you know, we got to talk to Rod Carey yesterday. You got to talk to Mike Kadick today. There's someone's driving a motorcycle down my street. I don't know what's going on up there. Um, but, you know, wanted to just let everything kind of, I don't know, settle a little bit. Let's start with Rod Carey. We talked to him yesterday. Um, I, I think it's fair to say it just felt like Tom Allen didn't have another option here at this point that he had reached a bit of a red line in terms of offensive line performance. Um, Rod Carey was not brought on staff to be sort of the backup offensive line coach. Uh, he was actually working on defense in a quality control role, but he is a lifetime offensive line guy, including as a player. Um, it's about as good of an option as, as Indiana could probably hope for in this situation. Yeah, no, certainly. I mean, I think that was uh, sort of my takeaway. And I said said this to a couple of people as we were walking out of the press conference on Saturday, um, you know, after I asked, uh, you know, Tom Allen about, you know, basically about Darren Hiller. And, you know, I said, you know, um, do you feel like you're, you know, you said in May, you, you know, you felt like you were getting from response from what you were demanding from him. Um, and you felt like you could, you know, uh, make the O-line better without making a wholesale change. Do you still feel that way? Uh, and he said, not the last three weeks, not last week, not this week. I'm very disappointed. And when he said that, you know, my thought was, you know, if he, if he can find anybody on the payroll, anybody at all who is currently collecting a check from Indiana university that could coach offensive line on Monday, uh, I, I think he might make the move. And that's what he did basically is, is he had a guy, you know, on staff uh, who could potentially coach offensive line, who could show up on Monday and, you know, take them through uh, the motions. And and that was sort of enough to say it's time to make a move just because, I mean, it, it, it had reached kind of that breaking point, um, you know, just really the last three weeks. Uh, you know, it hasn't been good all season. Um, but there were a couple of games where it wasn't that bad. I mean, in Cincinnati, there were, there were some bad moments. There were some good moments. Uh, Nebraska wasn't great. Michigan was really bad. Uh, you know, obviously they, they faced the top five team and just couldn't keep those guys out of the backfield, especially in the, the second half um, at all. You end up with seven sacks. That's a, just, you know, ridiculous number. Uh, so it felt like a move was time. And, and, and Kerry, you know, again, was not a guy that was brought on to be the backup offensive line coach, but it does make you wonder if, if Tom Allen had that in the back of his mind, that that's an option if, if things really, really go south. No idea if he did or didn't. Um, but, you know, it, it was sort of a clear guy to go to once you had made that decision. You, you can't really go outside uh, of the staff of, of, you know, you know, basically of, of what is at least in your athletic department somewhere. Um, 
when you know when it's midseason again, somebody's got to be there on Monday to coach the line. Like that's not a position that, that you can, you know, just just kind of coach by committee. You know, somebody has to know what they're doing over there and, and carry. Yeah, I mean, it's not. I mean, like it's not even. And I'm not trying to do other positions down, but I think there are other places on an offense where you could, you know, you could you could hide a coach. That's not quite the right word. You could you could almost sort of double up. I mean, we've seen. Indiana have like Kevin yeah. Johns was like quarterbacks and wide receivers coach and yeah. Indiana just had GAs it trusted to handle the wide receivers when Johns needed to be with the quarterbacks when when Mike DeBoer brought Nick Sheridan with him from Tennessee Sheridan had been a GA at Tennessee but DeBoer had basically turned the quarterback position over to him so DeBoer could run the right. offense yeah. offensive line just can't work that way in the same right. way you couldn't do like offensive line and, and quarterback probably the two positions on an offense you can't just turn over to a GA. Right. That, that can't be secondary. There's got to be somebody dedicated that's there. Right. And while sometimes these titles can be a little bit puffed up in terms of like you call somebody like a run game coordinator, that's a, a way to give them a title bump so that you can keep them in the fold or whatever. You can, yeah, you can pay them a little bit more. Yeah. The reality is that there's still probably some responsibility there that you also don't want to G if you're talking about somebody who's going to be responsible for building structure you probably don't also want that person, you know, to be a GA or something like that, or just leave it to a team of quality control coaches. You know, you, you do need somebody that can just be hands-on full-time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, to your point, there are obviously positions that connect uh, on offense and defense, basically, that, that you could say, okay, well, you can make this, you know, if, if they were to make a change at safeties coach, you know, you could just put Brandon Shelby in, in charge of the whole defensive backfield or vice versa. If you decide, you know, that, that you want to move on from Brandon Shelby, you could put Jason Jones in charge of corners, you know, that's doable. Like there, there are, uh, you know, other kind of position groups that, that fit together um, in their own way. Um, but offensive line is one of those that stands its own, stands on its own. There's, there's not other, you know, like you're, you're not combining pieces together that, that are like kind of, uh, you know, connected. I mean, everybody's connected, but offensive line is something different. So there needs to be a guy who is working on technique, a guy who's watching them hit sleds, all that kind of stuff. There has to be somebody in charge and, and there has to be somebody coordinating all that. So there's got to be a guy who knows what he's doing. And obviously, again, they're fortunate enough to get somebody who's got, you know, years and years and years of, of working with offensive line uh, to make it happen. And, and then obviously we've got the an offensive line. line like I don't think this should go understated offensive line building up to offensive coordinator. He yeah. was an OC at Wisconsin Stout, which is a Division three school. But then eventually, as he worked up, he also became OC at Northern Illinois. And if you look at particularly, it's kind of his first five years as either OC or head coach at Northern Illinois, some really prolific offenses. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I thought, um, you know, but on the flip side, I think he still came in, you know, did his press conference, you know, obviously expressed the reluctance. Of, of what it's like to um, be asked to step in for someone who got fired midseason. Um, and just, you know, he definitely went with the, um, just the idea just of the brotherhood of coaches, if you will, that, uh, that, that that's a tough break and basically just what made a, a very clear point to not sort of, you know, dance on uh, Darren Hiller's employment grave, if you will. That, that, that um, was the, that was the phrase it, it, that came to my mind. He was, he was trying very hard not to appear like he was dancing on Darren Hiller's grave. Because yeah. it was a big moment for him. He's back at his alma mater. You know, this yeah. is a guy who obviously has had his own professional sort of pitfalls in the last 12 months. He, he was at Temple. He lost his job. He came here as a quality control coach. That's a big step down. Now, right. all of a sudden, he gets to step back into, at least for the rest of 2022, a full-time position coach's role. But you imagine that the wounds are still fresh enough in, in his own experience that he doesn't want 
while that's a big thing for him, he, he does not want to be seen to be celebrating when he knows somebody's lost their job. Right. Absolutely. And, and, and obviously the, you know, the coaching profession gets bothered when something like this happens, when, when there's a mid season move that gets made um, and, you know, somebody's uh, becomes a scapegoat basically. And because, you know, and to be fair, like, you know, do we know, um, you know, I, I, as I tried to get Tom Allen to get into this, I mean, I, I don't know, I know Ta- Darren Hiller's offensive lines were bad and I need, know somebody needs to be held accountable for that, but I don't know what Darren Hiller actually did wrong. Like, either did wrong or failed to do right um, as far as literally things he did from day to day. What, what, you know, why his offensive lines were bad. I don't honestly know. I, I presume there has to be something, um, but you know, offensive line coaches are like offensive coaches or coaches in general are, are not going to, they don't like the whole idea of somebody being let go mid season. Like, like that, that trend continuing is generally not something they're big fans of. Um, and, you know, they tend to, they tend to stick up for the guy that got let go and said it wasn't fair. This got just sort of thrown on him. Um, so I, it, he obviously just sort of played that role well. Um, you know, it, wh- how, you know, I, it, it, it looked sincere to me, um, whether it was or wasn't. Uh, he, he knew the role he had to play there and, and he built it up. But he also, I thought, smartly told everybody, hey, look, like, uh, you know, he was asked, you know, what kind of impact do you think you can make on this offensive line? Um, you know, he didn't throw Hiller on the bus and also was pretty clear, I think, the fans are saying, look, like, I'm taking this over six weeks in. I don't know any of these guys. Uh, I barely know these guys. And so I'm trying to figure out on the fly how I'm supposed to coach them, how I'm supposed to impact them, what what, what is there to change, what we can fix. And the answer is I don't know. Like at this stage, I've been with him for one practice. I don't know. I mean, we talked to Kadic today, Mike Kadic today, and Mike was like, yeah, I've had maybe a couple conversations. He's like, the first two days has been introductions. He's like, we, we are getting to know each other. And, um, you know, that, that again, tells you like, you know, quality control is a weird deal in terms of like the kind of contact they're allowed to have. Like, I don't think they're allowed to on, I'm not sure if they're allowed to. I believe there is some on-field coaching allowed in quality control roles. I feel like they didn't used to be. They didn't used to be, but I I believe now there there are some ways they can contribute. Obviously still can't recruit off campus and things like that. But I I think in theory, I mean, the way that both Allen and Kerry had kind of described his role was really mostly that he was sitting in on defensive meetings, providing an offensive perspective. Right. You know, whatever he was sort of asked to. But I do think that, that there's a, you know, I think there is a um, th- there are some ways that QC roles have been expanded. It's still not countable coach territory, obviously. Right. Exactly. So, like, that's been an evolution. Uh, but but like ultimately, like, you're, it's just not the same. So, like, you're not. Uh, I mean, and, and and there's only so much crossover, you know, like Allen pretty much had to force crossover between defensive coaches and offensive players this offseason. Uh, you know, to, to kind of increase some level of accountability where you were creating these accountability groups that were mixed as far as positions were concerned. In a lot of other cases, you didn't necessarily get to know somebody who was working on the opposite staff all that well. So, I mean, like the, the first couple of days, I mean, it's probably better than it used to be, but they had to work on just getting to know each other. So the idea of like how much of an impact are you going to make um, in the course of what are we down to six, seven weeks um, left in this season? Um, you know, six games, I think, I mean, I think there's uh, obviously the bye week coming uh, on October 29th. Um, so there's a lot of work that's got to be done just to get everybody even on the beginnings of the same page. Um, so I, at least I thought, I thought it was important for Rod Carey to be very, um, honest about that and not, uh, acting like there was some magic wand. He used the phrase magic wand, um, 
that, that, that that was not an option that we were just, he's just going to just grind through it and do whatever he can and try as hard as he can for Tom Allen, but he's not making promises of uh, a complete revitalization here. It's, you know, it's just do what you can for six weeks. I think, you know, it, it, it's, it's interesting the, the way you put it kind of talking about basically like what, what did Darren Hiller do wrong? What can an offensive lineman, you know, what can an offensive line coach do differently? Um, that is, I think, the most regimented position on an offense a lot of the time. Um, it, it's certainly the one with the least options post-snap. A receiver might be given the opportunity to freelance a little bit if a quarterback breaks pocket or if a play runs long. Obviously, running backs have to be very fluid in their, their thinking and their decision-making. Quarterbacks have to process a lot pre-snap and post-snap, but they have options. You know, Offensive linemen will make checks, they'll make reads, a quarterback will change protections, but once the ball is snapped, you've got a job to do. And, and, and I don't mean that in the cliche way. I mean, like, you've got a job. It's whatever it is, it's, it's, you know, inside man, inside leverage, or it's, you know, contain, or it's double the tackle, whatever the call is, you got one job. And if you don't do it, you failed. There's no, there's no, like, there's really very little dynamism in offensive line play insofar as like, once the ball is snapped, you just need to do exactly what you understand is your job on this play. And therefore, I think offensive line coaching is a lot about repetition, even more so than it is quarterback, running back. I mean, again, like almost anywhere else really in that offense, in an offense. It's not that it's not about repetition at those other positions, but I don't think it's quite so much about repetition at other positions as it is at offensive line where it's just drill it over and over and over again. You come off the same way. Your hips are the same place. Your feet are the same place. Your hands go the same place. All of it. You know, I mean, Kerry made one sort of allusion to like, we're going to be on the sleds every day because I was on the sleds every day. I, I don't think that that means that Indiana wasn't on the sleds. I've seen Indiana on the blocking sleds at, at, at practices. But I do think that when you've got an offensive line that's struggling and guys aren't soft, you know, they will understand they're struggling. They will, they will be able to recognize that things aren't going well. Um, when you, you know, when, when you've got an offensive line that's struggling, I think sometimes maybe it can be hard because a coach understands that like, well, these are my methods and this is how I build that, that muscle memory. It can be hard to change that and you can change it in some different ways. But I think I'm not saying Indiana is going to overhaul everything it does in practice offensive offensive line wise. I mean, Rod Carey quite literally said they're not going to, he's not going to do that. But I do think, the idea of a a fresh a fresh sort of perspective, a fresh approach at a position where not just playing but preparation is very like by design can be very monotonous. Um, I think that 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 is. I'm not saying it's going to solve everything, but I understand where if Indiana made some incremental improvements this week. I could see that being a reason why that it's not just that it's a fresh voice. It's that an offensive line, you've got to have supreme confidence that you are, you know, that, that you're going like every time you're doing this and building this muscle memory, that, that monotony is going to pay off, excuse me, pay off. And if you start to lose that faith, 
you know, that's where maybe a, a fresh voice, a fresh perspective on things can help. You know, I'd agree with that. And again, and, and like, again, what's possible in terms of the, the level of improvement um, is, is, is just tough to say. I mean, it's, it's very difficult to say, okay, well, this is something, you know, like they can be this. Right. Much better, They're not but, turning into like, you know, peak Redskins, late eighties, you know? Right. Yeah. It's just a question of getting, it's just, can, can you get back to the point of being more functional? You know, okay. Can you get back to the point of being able to just keep people out of the pocket enough uh, to, you know, like just be, be able to function, be able to work, be able to, you know, give baseline time to throw the ball, give routes time to run, give, you know, create some space for a running game um, and, and create something there. That that's the thing. Just be, be able to get to, to you know to to create enough opportunity to put some points on the board, um, and you know not go full halves without scoring points, not go full quarters without gaining actual yards. Uh, that's kind of where they need to be. It's, it's just they they've just got to be able to do something, and, and yeah, I, I think that can shake it up some. Um, but you know, I, I think obviously, you know, the big picture perspective, the reason to make this move uh, is you know, you got to have a restart in the big picture stuff, you know, like how this position is recruited, how it is coached on the long-term level, uh, you know, matters. I mean, I, 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 you know, Tom Allen did not seem to indicate one way or the other, if he sees this as a uh, job interview, uh, if this is an interim thing, or if this is, he's my guy until, you know, further notice. Uh, He he didn't seem to go one way or the other there. Yeah, I can clear, I can clear that up just a little bit. Like I kind of pushed around it after, everything yesterday he's not interim it's not a situation where uh it's not like when fred glass brought tom allen up in 2016 and just said he is our head coach there's no search there's no interim tag there's no he's interviewing for his job you know every day he is our head coach it's not like that but they don't want it i think they don't want it to be interim because i think they want it to reflect the idea that like they're sticking with rod carey that that like this isn't just going to be like a you know a, a shotgun wedding and if it doesn't work out they're just going to run out the back door as quick as they can um i don't know that it's even really been discussed firmly like well what if suddenly indiana was running the ball for 300 yards a game and they finished 7 and 5 and went to a bowl game would that, you know, would that just automatically trigger something? I don't know that that conversation has been had, but I think there is a firm sense of, if nothing else, I think Indiana wants, you know, from a, a coaching perspective, a recruiting perspective, all of it wants everyone to feel like there is somebody that is defined in this role through at least the end of the year. Yeah, no, I guess that makes sense of, of, of just trying to do it like not, what it probably does is just it, it avoids us asking about it um, until, you know, closer to season's end. Um, it, you know, like, are you going to look for a guy? Are you, are you, you know, while you're doing this, are you kind of operating a coaching search on the side? Um, but still it's open for the possibility that if the season, you know, when the season ends, you can make a decision either way, but it's not going to be a thing that is happening um, this year. You know, basically like Rod carries the guy through the season at least maybe more, but you know, there, there is not a situation of that Rod Carey is doing this while they're, they're performing an offensive line coach search on the side. I guess that makes sense. It does not. Uh, I mean, I, I, I want to talk a little basketball too, so I don't want football to dominate this. I also don't want to reduce this down to there's nothing 
you know, there's nothing else that Indiana needs to do to be good. You know, offensive lines holding everything back. But it does feel like number one offensive line is far and away the biggest problem this this team the biggest the biggest weakness this team has right now in terms of its ability to score enough points to stay competitive in games and put itself in positions to win late in games. It also feels like if you know he said he's not a miracle worker, if Rod Carey could work a minor miracle here. It feels like the area where Indiana could basically make the biggest improvement in terms of if you said, you know, Indiana can fix one thing between now and Maryland or now and November or now and Purdue. To, 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 to try and maximize best results in that time period, what would it be? It would be offensive line play. I think I think there's other areas where this team can improve some some of them noticeably, but nothing I think would be as impactful on this team's fortunes for the rest of the season as a, a better, not, not necessarily a, a great one, maybe not even a good one, but certainly a better functioning, noticeably better functioning offensive line. And so, you know, we'll see what happens, but it, it, it that also feels like maybe why this is the decision that gets made over something else. If you're Tom Allen is to say, you know, it's, it's not just that this is clearly like maybe the, the greatest underperformance. It's also that this is the, this is the spot where, you know, sort of the, the, I don't know what the, the, the ceiling can be turned around or raised the most. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And, and there's also just the fact that every other position coaches know um, that, that you've already, you've already started over at all these other spots. Um, you know, you've already got a first year wide receivers coach, first year running backs coach, first year quarterbacks coach and offensive coordinator. Um, so, you know, restarting, resetting one of those doesn't seem to make a lot of sense when you've just started with each of those guys. Um, so as a guy that's been around for a while and, and, and uh, somebody who's already put down a track record and something that you can change and, and you create a kickstart anywhere. Uh, but yeah, no, to, to agree to that point that, that, you know, that if, if you get any level of improvement on offensive line, that would, um, I trickle down. I don't think it's the word, but that would sort of permeate um, two other positions. Basically, that that would make Connor Bazelak's job easier. It would make Josh Henderson and Sean Shivers, Jalen Lucas's jobs easier. It would make the wide receivers' jobs easier. Um, you know, if, if the offensive line gets better, even incrementally, um, that makes stuff incremental, incrementally better for every other position. Um, but again, to your point, they're not the only problem. Um, you, you can't sit here and say like that. That it, it is not a situation of. An incremental improver on offensive line will make everything else perfectly fine. Um, it's not, you know, it, it, it is not the only position group that has problems, um, but their problems stand out. And often when offensive line has problems, it makes everybody else's job a whole lot harder because it's just keeping defensive guys out of the backfield. When defensive players are in the backfield and, you know, not being blocked, um, it's hard to make anything else work. But even in the positions where they have blocked well, it is not like these guys um, it's not like every time the offensive line has a good play, the offense has a great play. You know, it, it's better, but there are there are flaws across the board with this offense and obviously with this team. Uh, transitioning to basketball just a little bit. Um, Big Ten media days are this week. Uh, some talk about scheduling. You know, I wrote a little bit about that off Mike Woodson's press conference. Um, I think. Um, the other interesting thing is how much Jalen and Shafino keeps coming up. And, and I think what, what's particularly interesting to me is, is what Mike Woodson said, and this is his full quote. Somebody asked him 
where does Jalen Hood-Shafino fit into your lineup and then kind of threw the other freshmen in. But um, the question was clearly about Hood-Shafino and, and Mike Woodson said, quote, it's been pretty, com- it's been pretty competitive. All the freshmen have come in this, that have come in this season. I like them because they're competitive. Jalen sits right at the top. I've kind of had him in the starting lineup. I've had him on the second team. I'm just trying to look at combinations just to see who's going to start, who's going to get minutes. But he's been a great addition to our ball club because he does a little bit of everything for our team, which is kind of nice. I'm interested in that little bit of everything for our team bit, because I think a lot of the question we've had about Jalen Huchifino is you've got already a really prolific point guard here, a point guard that averaged, I think, four and a half assists last season. He averaged 6.6 in his last 10 games. He had, like, I think the third most prolific single season in program history in terms of assists. It was even 34th. Obviously, I'm talking about Xavier Johnson. Now you're bringing in another player that would probably like the ball in his hands, would be comfortable with the ball in his hands. It's a balance you're going to have to strike. But if in the meantime, Jalen Huchifino is one of your best defenders, or he's great in transition, or he can knock down threes, if he's a guy that can fill another role for you besides ball handler, that makes that balance a lot easier. And that's sort of one of the things that I, we've, we've heard. We, this is the time of year where you pick around the edges of players like this. We haven't seen them yet. All we do is, is all we can do is, is hear from, you know, scouts or what a coach says or what teammates say or little bits from scrimmages or highlight videos or whatever. But the more it feels, the more people talk about Jalen Hitchafino, the more it feels like he's a player that, that could on any given night help Indiana win in two or three different ways, not just one. And that's an incredibly valuable skill when you consider, quite frankly, how one paced a lot of Indiana's sort of backcourt options could be at times last season. Yeah, no, certainly. I mean, there, there were obviously they had a functional backup point guard in Rob Finnessy and in on certain occasions against certain lineups in certain scenarios, you could put Johnson and Finnessy on the floor together, but it wasn't necessarily a, you were giving up something with that pairing. Uh, when you had those two together defensively, they could really do pretty well for you. You know, Johnson could guard a bigger guy um, in fantasy could guard the ball really well. Um, and, but on offense, it was mostly, you know, fantasy might get lost in it or, or, or whatever. And, you know, you're just, if they were playing together, a lot of cases, fantasy just didn't score the basketball. Uh, you just had Johnson really running the show and finding other guys. And every once in a while with fantasy would get a shot. And obviously there was, there, there's always a couple Rob fantasy games where um, he'd go out of, you know, Go out of the way and go off for 20. Um, but Johnson and, and Hood Shafino together is something different. Um, basically, there's a lot more firepower there. Um, you know, they can both shoot the basketball. Hood Shafino could probably shoot it better. Hood Shafino has more experience as a two. But I talked to Johnson about it on Media Day. And he was like, okay, like how comfortable, you know, comfortable are you? How much does it work to have both you guys together? What's it look like? And how comfortable are you? playing off the ball. I mean, like, you know, can you guys exchange possessions where, you know, he brings down the ball and you run too and and the other way around, he says, no, I'm really comfortable with that. He's like, I did play uh, a lot more too than you guys realize, Uh, you know, basically as a high school, there were, there were sometimes I played a lot of shooting guard and I don't mind at all running around without the basketball. 
So I think the two of them really fit. And Hushifino is big enough, you know, where, where Finnessy is good of an on-ball defender as he was, his his defensive options were kind of limited in terms of the matchups because um, he was giving, you know, going to give up some size. You, you, you gave him a bigger two guard, you know, he's given up a lot there. Uh, if, if he's getting giving a 6'4 or 6'5, uh, you know, Finnessy's given up, you know, is defending someone different. Hushifino is big enough to guard anybody you really want to guard uh, at the one or the two. Um, so, there, there are a lot of things he can do. I, I again, I, I think he is the better off the ball option. Um, but I mean, he's probably, you know, the most all around talented option they would have a shooting guard. And I think they have more, more options at shooting guard, especially if Tamar Bates is as much better as I think he is. Uh, you know, it, it just it gives them a lot of options. But Huchifino seems to be a guy that wherever you're putting him uh, is going to make an impact, is going to make a difference, and is going to make Indiana a lot better. I think there's something else we did we kind of dug into it a little bit. And again, listen, we are still just stitching together bits and pieces here, but the idea of Indiana's second line and, you know, people got so frustrated with Mike Woodson at times last season for being pretty consistent about playing 10 and, and really, you know, it wasn't quite this simple. It certainly was scaled back a little bit from what you'd see in the NBA, but the, you know, sort of the philosophy for lack of a better term of like, you know, we have a, you know, a first five and a second five. And what we do is the second five sort of slowly but steadily replaces the first five. And then for a little while, the second five's on the floor. And then the first five comes back in to close the half and, you know, whatever. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't expect that to go away. I think that's how Woodson coaches. I think that's, that's, that's how he sees his system working from a personnel perspective. That second unit looks better, though. And there's still some questions, you know, if you start Jalen Huchifino and Xavier Johnson together, and right now I would guess that's what, what Indiana is going to do. Then who's your point guard in the second line? Is it Tamar Bates? Are you having to build some, some rotations that sort of leave either Johnson or Huchifino as the last guy on the floor from the first line to bridge to the other one on the second line through the second line? If you do that, Xavier Johnson can be foul prone sometimes. That's maybe not a perfect idea. That's a very you know, that's a that's a narrow path to, to walk. Um, but on the other hand, again, we talked about this in the, in the sort of post Hoosier Stereo podcast. For people who haven't listened to it. Malik, Malik Rune looks really good. Um, Jordan Geronimo looks better. Tamar Bates looks a lot better. It just feels like that second line. Let's assume for the moment that's what Woodson sort of does again. That's how he approaches it again. That second line looks awfully good. And and it looks like it's capable of making sure there's one more interchangeability with let's call it the first line, and two a lot less drop off as those rotations are cycled through, which would make Indiana a lot more difficult to play because there have been there were so many times last season where it felt like Indiana where a, either a Indiana was hurt by injuries and, and, you know, the, the, even when guys like Rob Finnessy or Trey Galloway who weren't starters were hurt, you felt like Indiana felt it so greatly because they were needed in that second unit. And B the number of times Indiana would go through games, just feeling like it was trying to survive, you know, just try to like, there's nothing to be, you know, there, there would be, there would be media timeout segments where you'd almost look at it and say, there's nothing Indiana can win here. All they can do is lose. They just they're they're they're, they're trying to get from from here to here so somebody else can come back in and then they can start think about being aggressive again. It just feels like maybe that's going to be a little bit more of a strength this year. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I don't know if he's going to, you know, operate with a true second line. 
I'm interested to see if he still wants to do that. But I think what's fascinating, what we could definitely say about this group is they are 10 deep at least. I mean, I, I, like there, there might be more than 10 uh, out of this group that I think you can you can trust. I mean, obviously it depends on, you know, how ready you are to put guys like Caleb Banks, you know, specifically Caleb Banks and CJ Gunn out there um, if, if those guys are ready. So obviously, you know, th- there's been a lot of good said about Caleb Banks uh, in the offseason about how ready he might be. It hasn't blown me away yet, but I could, you know, I, I would not be surprised. Um, but just a question of how those combinations make the most sense. I mean, to your point, you know, like if, if Xavier Johnson is your best point guard, then Jalen Huchifino is your second best point guard. Well, what are you doing with that? You know, or, or, you know, if you want to have them together, how much do you have another guy running that second unit? Um, you know, what's that look like? What, you know, is, is, uh, how do you piece that piece together? How much do you want Tamar Bates running the one? How ready is Tamar Bates for the one? Cause it's apparently something he's worked on. I, I think we could see that. I mean, he was running for, he was running point guard, um, for the white team, you know, in Hoosier hysteria for the limited amount of time that they were scrimmaging, um, you know, it's just what are what are the Indiana was also doing some of that in the Bahamas last year. It's not like it's foreign. No, it's not. But but we all, you know, and even Galloway plays. In the- I mean, I saw him in the Bahamas. And I thought, wow, that's an interesting wrinkle. And then it turned out he couldn't do it. So I don't think you can count. I don't want to count on it if I'm an Indiana fan to see it. Sure. No, I, I, absolutely. And, and that's the case for a couple of things. We're like both, I mean, you know, Trey Galloway can obviously play, play point in a pinch. You saw that um, when uh, basically everyone got suspended from the Northwestern game. So, but the point being, there are options. Uh, there are things that they could do. There are things they could play around with. I, I, it's, there is way more potential versatility. Uh, in terms of you know what what they might want to do, and, and they can go you know so they can go a bunch of different directions. If Logan Duncan is ready to play the five, they can play Logan Duncan as part of that. But they can put, put Reno at the five, Geronimo at the four, somebody like Caleb Banks at the three, and Bates and Galloway at the one and the two. Uh, that's possible. Or have Hood Shafino at part of that. Um, you know the, but like my my point is, they easily have enough guys that they can trust. Whether that's you know. Um, you know, who they trust more or whatever, or how they combine them. If it operates as a true second unit again, uh, it's going to be interesting to see, but they absolutely have the number of guys uh, that they could play that deep. I, I think certainly uh, for the early part of the season, we'll see if that translates once you get into big 10 play, but they're, you know, and, and I think one of the biggest challenges Mike Wilson is going to have is going to be getting minutes for anybody, everybody who deserves minutes, everybody who needs minutes for the development. Uh, I think that's going to be, you know, a, an interesting, I think, line he's got to walk because there's just a lot of guys, I think, who, who have earned the right. The one other thing I, I wanted to, I don't know, touch on, but just mention, and we got about four minutes left, uh, Indiana's pretty healthy. You know, the, the only, I, I know that it was, it was not the most spirited scrimmage of all time, but the only player who was held out of it was Anthony Leal. Uh, he had a walking boot on his foot. A walking boot is probably better than a cast, certainly better than a, a, a crutch. Um, I think the, you know, I mean, just that can always change very quickly. But a year ago, think of how many players Winston was talking about. We're not we're not full strength. We don't have this guy yet or we don't have this guy. We're, we're, we're down in practice, whatever. Um, I think I want to say I'd have to go back and look, but I, I want to say like three or four players had to sit out the Hoosier stereo scrimmage portion because of, of just different injury concerns. And it did feel in the early part of the season, like Indiana was almost kind of delayed in getting its best going because guys had been so limited and, and had their preseasons chopped up. Um, again, it's, it can change quickly, but for the moment it's, it's, it's good news for a team that's got, as we've discussed many times, a difficult November and December ahead that it feels like they are 
going to be able to be pretty much full strength through this preseason prep, at least at this point. Yeah, and I think other than Leal, the only one, the only player we know of that's had uh, been held back this summer at all was Trey Galloway. That uh, hasn't necessarily been able to make some of the leaps. But I think he wanted. Obviously, I think he wants to be a guy that can shoot the ball and you can trust. And and I don't know that he's going to be that. I think you're going to see Trey continue to be what Trey has been, which is a phenomenal energy guy. You know, uh, defender who can guard multiple positions, run around, rebound. Uh, you know, just you know move the ball, break some guys down off the dribble. Don't know if he's going to be able to shoot it. Um, but a lot of the other guys, I think, had all the time to make the developments you needed, and that means Tamar Bates, uh, you know, Jordan Geronimo, uh, you know, I think are two guys who, who made a, a ton of development. Plus, again, a lot of the freshmen seem really, really comfortable in what they're doing, especially Hood Shafino and, and Reno, uh, Renew, I think. Uh, those two guys really look like they're ready. I mean, they, they you know, both have to look like they've been around for a long time already. Um so I think they were able to get a lot done development-wise because everybody was healthy. Let's leave it there for now. Uh, we'll be back. I, I, I don't know. We may do one Friday just to kind of advance the Maryland game. If not, we'll certainly be back after Maryland. Um, it seems like the postcasts have been pretty well received, so we'll keep doing those just maybe 15, 20 minutes after football games, when and where we're capable. Uh, but for now, for Dustin DePirac, I'm Zach Osterman. This has been uh, Mind Your Banners for October 11th, 2022. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.